Hi there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Feldman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from our slightly different perspective. I think I have to think of a new uh, intro at some point, so if you have any ideas, feel free. It's getting That one's getting a little old. <laughs> anyway, you know, I've learned over the years that I have some very specific tastes when it comes to my aquariums. I like a certain look or a vibe, and it just so happens that my preferred aesthetics result from utilizing botanical materials, shocker, which have some ecological and chemical impacts on the environment of my aquariums. And at this stage in the world of botanical-style aquariums, we have a real embarrassment of riches. I mean, we have a pretty vast portfolio of materials that we can use in our aquariums to impact the aesthetics and the function of them. And it's pretty much a given that every aquarium that we assemble is not only a, you know, a unique expression of our interests and skills, it's a complex, ecologically functional microcosm, which is impacted not only by the way we assemble the life forms, but how, uh, how we utilize them. And of course, you know, being the self-appointed world's most prolific aquarium philosopher, I spend a fair amount of time ruminating on the idea, attempting to kind of grasp the concept. And I think it simply starts with the materials that we use. We've pretty much beaten the living shit out of the idea that it's perfectly logical to imply that botanicals, wood, and other materials which we utilize in our aquascapes not only have an aesthetic impact, but a consequential physical chemical impact on the overall aquatic environment as well. That's not really difficult to grasp, right? You put stuff in water, it influences the aquatic environment that it's emerged in. And different botanical materials can impart different effects to the water based on the composition, the origin, and the concentration of the botanicals. This is hardly a novel concept when you think about it in the context of stuff we know and love in other areas of life. Wine, for example, has terroir. Uh, boy, did I butcher that. Terroir, excuse me. <laughs> the environmental conditions, especially soil. And I took four years of French, just so you know, in school, so sorry. Uh, especially soil and climate in which grapes are grown and which give wine that you know unique flavor and aroma. Coffee, too, acquires traits that are similar. These are tangible effects and characteristics which impart, you know, impact the experiences that we get from them. And, of course, I can't help but wonder if this same idea applies to botanicals. It must. I mean, leaves come from specific trees imparting not only tannins and humic substances into the water, but likely falling in heavier concentrations or accumulating in various parts of rainforest streams or inundated forest floors at particular times of the year or in specific physical locales within a stream or river. And of course, they likely provide the fishes which reside in you know that given area a specific set of physical chemical conditions which, to which they have adopted to over time. And since we're now rather specific about considering the regions from which our botanicals come from, we at least have an outside shot at offering our fishes materials and chemical constituents and compounds they contain, which may impart characteristics to the water which are extant in said regions, right? Is that not the very definition of terroir? Yeah, sort of, right? Actually, I think it makes perfect sense. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> wow, mornings, right? Uh, anyway, as we've discussed before, the soils, plants, and surrounding geography of the aquatic environment, uh, or the aquatic habitat, I should say, play a pretty important and intricate role in the composition of the aquatic environment. <clears throat> I'm going to clear my throat one more time. That is crazy. And in turn, natural botanical materials influence the soils and even the water chemistry of the regions in which they are found to a certain extent. Of course, sometimes you have to cheat just a bit, I suppose. Here's a case in point. I remember not too long ago reading in some forum on killifish that a certain African species needed selenium in its water because the soil in the region from which it comes from has high levels of this stuff. 
Now, that's logical because many plants require this substance in order to grow properly, so it makes sense that fishes which come from waters that are adjacent to these soils would be accustomed to higher concentration of it than those from other regions, right? And hobbyists were discussing adding things like Brazil nuts, which are known to contain a high level of selenium, uh, into their aquariums. I mean, we offer the uh, monkey pot, which is the fruit capsule that protects the Brazil nut. Could it somehow impart selenium into the water? Of course, my mind was going with this, and perhaps maybe it does. Oh, and it's from Lysithus piscionis, a tree found in Brazil, uh, you know, as are Brazil nuts, of course. And again, the chili is from Africa. Remember? Well, I suppose fish breeders can make such accommodations without guilt. Uh, you know, us hobbyists are a little, probably a little more faithful to the way uh, uh, things look in our aquariums, and some of us are a little more hardcore about it. And I think it circles back, of course. Likely there are other botanical materials from Africa which have higher levels of selenium contained in their tissues, right? Biotope people would not take too kindly to seeing monkey pots in an African-themed aquarium, right? I think that even the most hardcore biotope aquarium hobbyists, whom I respect and love, seem to focus more on outward appearances for their biotope tanks than they do on the function or this geophysiological functional thing. And I don't think a fish breeder who's looking more towards results in spawning her fishes is hung up on using a botanical from Brazil in her bare-bottom breeding tanks or water pretreatment containers. And I suppose it's a matter of practicality, really. The goal for these people is to get their fishes to breed, period. So to make a long story short, botanical materials have multiple impacts on the aquatic habitats we create for our fishes. They influence not only the chemical characteristics of the water, like pH, TDS, alkalinity, etc., but the color, yeah, that's tannins, turbidity, and other characteristics, like the water flow, you know, because large concentrations of stuff become physical structures in the course of a stream or river, and that affects the flow of the water, and it works the same in the aquarium. And of course, they have an important impact on the diet of fishes. Remember Alecthonus' input from the land surrounding aquatic habitats and the input uh, and impact of humic substances? Sure, I can't help but wonder what sort of specific environmental variations we could uh, create in our aquarium habitats, that is to say variations of the chemical composition of the water in our aquarium habitats by employing various different types and combinations of botanicals and aquatic soils. I mean, on the surface, this is not a revolutionary idea. We've been doing stuff like this in the hobby for a while, more crudely in the fish breeding realm, like adding peat to the water, for example, or with aragonite substrates in reflake cichlid tanks or mineral additions to shrimp habitats, etc. In the planted aquarium world, it's long been known that soil types and additives, i.e. clay-based aquatic soils or substrates high in potassium or whatever, will obviously impact the water chemistry of the aquarium far differently than, say, iron-based soils. <clears throat> Excuse me, and thusly their effect on plants, fishes, and perhaps an unintended side, you know, side consequence. The overall aquatic environment will differ uh, subsequently and differently as a result. So it pretty much goes without saying that the idea of utilizing different types of botanical materials in the aquarium can likely yield different effects in the water chemistry, and thus impact the lives and fishes uh, of the fishes and the plants that reside there. It's not that big of a stretch, right? I just can't help but wonder you know, what the possible impacts of different leaves or perhaps different seed pods from different areas can have on the water and overall aquarium environment. Now, the biggest problem, as I see it, is we just don't have any real chemical analysis of the materials contained in the botanicals we use. I mean, I'm sure you could really dive deep now that, you know, when we give you the scientific names of, of many of the botanicals, you could probably really dive deep, find the, the some scientific paper somewhere in which these things were analyzed, and it might be there. 
and then you can infer some stuff. But for the most part, you know, it's obscure. And for that matter, it does it, you know, at this point, we're not sure what to do with it. Most of us wouldn't really know what concentrations we'd need to create specific effects or to take advantage of a given concentration of whatever that is contained in a specific botanical, right? And with few exceptions, we don't even know which compounds from which regions benefit our fishes in specific ways. So we have to sort of take a shotgun approach and at least infer that a botanical from a given region has some of the same compounds found in the soil or the aquatic environment of the region. A bit of a stretch, I know, but I think it's the best we can do for right now. There's so much unknown stuff here, right? We just don't have the data. We know some impacts, of course. Again, I'm sure we know, you know, pH and such are affected in certain circumstances. But what about the compounds and substances we don't or simply can't test for in the aquarium? What impacts do they have? Subtle things like combinations of various amino acids, antioxidant compounds, obscure trace elements, even hormones for that matter. Could utilizing different combinations of botanicals and aquariums potentially yield different results for our fishes? And could we develop, you know, recipes of sort, you know, to know what to use? You know, scenarios like add this if you want fishes to color up, add a combination of this if you want the fishes to commence spawning behavior, etc., etc. Sounds a bit exotic, but is it really all that far-fetched an idea? Absolutely not, in my opinion. I think that the main thing which keeps the idea from really developing more in the hobby, knowing exactly how much of what to add to our tanks, specifically to achieve X effect, is that we simply don't have the means to test for many of the compounds which may affect the aquarium habitat. And we get excited about the idea of tannins and humic substances. That's cool stuff. Yet like 90% of us don't even have a clue on how to even test for the stuff. And sure, there are tannin test kits that are not necessarily aquarium specific, but what do the numbers yielded by such a test even mean to us? The, the, short of having an idea of the tannin levels in specific wild habitats, how do we interpret the data anyways? And as we've discussed repeatedly, the color of our water, which is a giveaway to some tannins, in our aquariums really provides no in, you know, indication of the chemistry, right? At this point, it's really as much of an art as it is a science, and more superficial observation, at least in our aquariums, is probably almost, and I say almost in quotes, as useful as laboratory testing is in the wild at the moment. Even simply observing the effects upon our fishes caused by environmental changes, etc., when we use botanicals is useful to some extent. The more I think about our growing segment within the hobby, the more I realize that we're just at the very beginning. We're, we're sort of knocking on the door, acquainting ourselves with the types of materials we can use in our aquariums with a developing understanding of their environmental impacts. And we are moving towards you know, a period where we will undoubtedly try to work out these recipes for how to create specific environmental conditions within aquariums using botanicals. It's happening. It's a logical progression. It's driven by the sheer number of hobbyists working with this stuff and yearning to understand more than just the most superficial aspects. It will require more experimentation and possibly even cooperations between pure science and the hobby. It's often a tricky, rather slow process, but this collaboration has always yielded impactful results in the long run. It's gradual, yet it will happen in time. And it's a very busy time. It's hard to imagine a more exciting time to be in the aquarium hobby. I mean, every day brings new possibilities, new ideas, new successes, and occasionally failures. Yet, the more we learn, the more we apply to our work, the greater the possibility for really unique awards. So I would just tell all of you that are looking at this stuff and kind of scratching your heads and saying, you know, I just want to enjoy a great tank. Keep doing that. But document the information that things that are happening. Note the changes in your fishes, good and bad. See what you used, what concentrations. Take water tests. Use the resources available to us at the present time 
to garner some information that at some point we can look back on and say, aha, that's why this did what it did. There's information to glean from all of our work. And again, stay progressive, stay diligent, stay engaged, stay curious, stay excited, most important, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.